We're going to be in the Word of God today in 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 18 through 23, as we continue in not just our practical prayers series that we've been in all summer, but also continuing with last week's message. Last week was part one, and this is part two of that, the prayer of Elisha. We looked at the first part of the prayer of Elisha last week, and we saw that he prayed for his servant. His servant stepped out in the morning, saw an entire army surrounding him and his master in the city, said, what are we going to do? That's a fair question when you have an army around you. What are we going to do? And Elisha didn't pray, God, strike down the army dead, do away with them. Instead, he said, Lord, I pray that you open the eyes of my servant. Let him see what I see, what I know, and that's that there are more with us than there are with them. And sure enough, the servant saw the host of heaven over the host of the Arameans or the Syrians, and certainly he was encouraged, and we drew a lot of application from that. And now we're going to finish that passage and look at the next part of the prayer of Elisha. 2 Kings 6, beginning in verse 18, and I'll be reading from the CSB. The Word of God says this, When the Arameans, or again, Syrians, same people, came against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, and here's that second prayer, Please strike this nation with blindness. Now, I just want you to see something that's striking right away when the Arameans came against him. I point that out because they still came. They were still there. There was still an army. God didn't do away with the army. He didn't send them away. He allowed them to remain. They were still there intending to capture Elisha. The army was still there. Even though the armies of heaven surrounded them, they were still there, and they still came against Elisha. And God still allowed it. Isn't that interesting? Elisha prayed to the Lord, please strike this nation with blindness. He didn't pray, okay, they're coming, Lord, now, now, now that my servant has seen you're in control and, and you've encouraged him and you've showed him some things, you've taught him some things, you've shown him how big and glorious you are, now, Lord, now destroy them, strike them down, wipe them from the earth. That's kind of what we would expect, and let's be honest, that's probably what we would pray, right? Do away with my enemies. Do away with my opposition. All these things coming against me, God, I want you just to remove it. And that's what we would be praying. That's not what Elisha prayed. Please strike this nation with blindness. So he struck them with blindness, according to Elisha's word. The other thing we might do here is we might think, okay, all right, so God didn't strike them dead, but he, he did strike them with blindness. All right, good. <laughs> They're getting what they deserve. God's still dealing out punishment. But wait. Verse 19. Then Elisha said to them, and what's not written, what we can infer is that he went out right in the midst of them. So here's this great army, and Elisha prays that they are struck blind. That happens. And then being as, as fearless as Elisha obviously is in his incredible faith in God, he, he probably just walks right out to where they are. And, you know, they're, they're stumbling around. They're confused. They're disoriented. And then Elisha said to them, this is verse 19, this is not the way. <laughs> 
And this is not the city. Follow me and I will take you to the man you're looking for. Uh, Don't you see that the Word of God is full of of humor? Uh, (laughs) I mean, here they are. They're coming to the right city, to Dothan. That's where Elisha is. They know they're supposed to come after him. They know he's there. They're struck blind. They're also disoriented and confused. In fact, some scholars think that it wasn't complete or even literal blindness, that it was this dazed thing. You know, they're in this fog. They don't know where they are. They don't know what's going on. More of a confusion. Either way, it works. And so Elijah does a little bit of uh, uh, deception here. You know, he says, hey, guys, you're in the wrong place. This isn't where you're supposed to be. You know, it's kind of like, this is not the droids you're looking for. You know, this is not the city you're looking for. Follow me and I'll take you to the man you're looking for. And he led them to Samaria. Samaria is the capital city, was the capital city of the kingdom of Israel. Their sworn enemy. That's why they were coming after Elisha. If you were here last week, or if you know this text, you remember the whole point of this army, the Arameans slash Syrians, coming against Elisha is because the king, Ben-Hadad, was really upset because his plans keep on getting discovered and undone. And so he, he says to his people, all right, which one of you is, a, is the rat? Which one of you is a traitor for, uh, for, against me for the king of Israel? Because every time I seem to come up with some brilliant plan, <laughs> it gets found out. It gets discovered. And so the, his people said, no, it's not us. Israel's got that prophet. They've got Elisha. And he's got this special ability. He's in tune with his God. In fact, it's like you speak something in the privacy of your bedroom. He's going to hear it, king. And so that's why he sent this army. He said, okay, fine. If Elisha's the problem, I'll take care of that. And he sends his whole army after this one man, Elisha. So Elisha leads them and they follow along. And he takes them back to the heart of Israel, back into the capital city Samaria itself. In verse 20, when they entered Samaria, Elisha said, Lord, open these men's eyes and let them see. So the Lord opened their eyes and they saw that they were in the middle of Samaria. Ruh-roh. I mean, can you just imagine these, these soldiers? You know, they're wiping whatever out of their eyes and they're, they're kind of coming around. They're like, wait a second. This is not... This is not Dothan. Wait, this is Samaria. Dun, dun, dun. And then when the king of Israel, verse 21, when the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, should I kill them? Should I kill them, my father? I mean, don't, don't, you, just, don't you love the details of, of God's word? It's like a little kid, you know, when they, when they mommy, can I, can I, can I, can I, can I? Can I? He's just so excited. You know, here's the, the army of his enemy coming, and Elisha has just, he's seeing it as, as Elisha kind of, you know, hand gifting, gift wrapping the, the army of, of uh, Aram or Syria. And so he's really excited about that. <laughs> he, he does what we would probably do. Oh, good, my enemies are here. All right, I get to, I get to do away with them. Finally, this is going to be over. Should I kill them? Should I kill them, my father? But notice Elisha's response. This is just incredible. Remember, they came for him. 
you'd think if anybody would be justified in some vengeance and some justice, it would be Elisha. You'd think and would be okay with him saying, yes, absolutely, go at it. Instead, verse 22, Elisha replied, don't kill them. What? Huh? Come again? Don't kill them. Do you kill those you have captured with your sword or your bow? You know, in other words, treat them humanely. Treat them with respect. Treat them as, as prisoners of war that have surrendered. Set food and water in front of them so they can eat and drink and go to their master. Are you kidding me? Feed them, give them nourishment, provide for them, and then send them on their way. Show kindness to them. Show grace and show mercy to them. Wow. Wow. And the king of Israel, amazingly, especially considering his track record, he does what Elisha instructs, listens to him. Verse 23, so he prepared a big feast for them. This wasn't like breadcrumbs, you know, and little bit of water from the bottom of a, of a barrel. No, this is like the royal treatment. He prepared a big feast for them as if they were honored guests. When they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away, and they went to their master. And then notice this last sentence. The Aramean raiders did not come into Israel's land again. What that tells me, and it should tell you, is that there was a change of heart that took place here. And I wish I could tell you that it was not limited to just these raiders that came in. Um, unfortunately, that's not the case because in the very next part of the passage, Ben-Hadad is getting ready to send another invasion army. And so uh, their heart, these particular soldiers, their hearts may have been changed, these raiders, and that's really what they were. They were basically like mercenaries that the king hired. Their hearts were changed, and they didn't come into Israel's land again, and they were likely overwhelmed by the grace that they received, knowing they should not have received the treatment that they did. But it certainly didn't transfer over to the king, and it certainly didn't last with the people. But with this group of people, it did. Something changed in them. Their hearts were changed, and they realized there's something different here. This God, He's the real deal. This Elisha, He had us literally in the palm of His hand, and He didn't do what we deserved. He didn't do what we would have done if the tables were turned. He treated us with kindness and with grace and with mercy, and so did the king. What is that about? And I just want to suggest to you that I, I, think that I think that they were impacted by God himself and by his grace. I think that's what happened here. I think that's what was on display. And this whole account, this incredible account that is so opposite of what we would expect or what we would do, what we can take from it, what we can learn from what happened and what Elisha prayed here, why he prayed it, and then the events that transpired, the way he, he said to the king, don't kill them, instead treat them with kindness and honor. What all that shows us is that we need to believe something. All of us today, we need to believe something. Here's what we need to believe. We need to believe that God always sees 
the perfect way to deal with our difficulties. God always sees the perfect way to deal with our difficulties. And we need to believe that. I think the the servant, you know, once he had his eyes open and he saw the host of heaven, I think he was probably really looking forward to seeing the host of heaven come down on the host of Aram and and showing some, some major might there. He was looking for shock and awe, I think. That's just my guess. I can't prove that at all, but that's my opinion. And putting myself in his sandals, I think that's what I would have been looking for. You know, like, all right, now it's about to happen. It's about to go down. Here we go. Then he hears Elisha pray, Lord, strike this nation with blindness. And he's like, hmm, okay, that's not what I was hoping for. Let's see where this goes. Then Elisha walks right out into the middle of the army, leads them away. And if I were the servant or the people of Dothan, I would have been like, what's going on here? What's happening? He's leading them away. This isn't good. But let's wait and see what happens. And then he leads them into Samaria and Israel, and presumably the servant is there with him. And I think he probably would have reacted the way the king reacted. All right, they're going to die now. Let's kill them. But then Elijah says what he does. No, no, don't, don't kill them. Let's, let's honor them. And I mean, this would have been like major head-turning stuff. Like, what are, what are you doing, Elijah? Why are you saying this? Why are you treating them this way? You do remember they came to kill you. What is going on? Why are you praying to God what you're praying? And God, why are you doing what you're doing? Where's the justice? Where's the vengeance? We need to believe that God always sees the perfect way, the perfect way to deal with our difficulties. What difficulties are you facing today? We all have them. You came in with them. You brought difficulties in with you. You've been dealing with difficulties all week long. For some of you, all month long. Some of you still all year long. What difficulties do you have that you're carrying, that you have been praying for God to do something about? And that's good. We do need to take our difficulties to God. We do need to carry our burdens to Him. We're we're told that in God's Word, right? Cast all of your cares on Him, for He cares for you. We need to believe that, and that's true. But the question is, Are you good with God dealing with your difficulties how He sees fit? That's the question before you. That's the question before all of us. That's the question we all have to answer. The difficulties that we have that we don't like, nobody likes difficulties. No one is going to say, naturally, humanly, God, I thank you for giving me all these difficulties. No one says that. And you don't need to pretend to be okay with difficulty. But what we do need to do is to say, God, I have this difficulty. You know about it. I believe and trust that you have allowed this for some reason. We said last week, remember, that whatever has come your way, whatever circumstances are surrounding you, like the the people of Aram surrounded Elisha and his servant, whatever whatever circumstances have come your way and are surrounding you had to go through God first. And that if He let it come to you, it's somehow ultimately for your good because God is only good. That's what we said last week. 
So what our prayer needs to be, okay, God, I have all this difficulty and I don't like it, but I trust that you are good and you are perfectly sovereign. And if you allowed it to come, it has to be for some reason. So now I'm praying, God, deal with this difficulty as you perfectly see fit to do. That needs to be our prayer. That's hard. I am the first to admit that is really hard. In fact, it's impossible naturally, humanly, to pray that way. That's where the Holy Spirit comes in. You know, Romans tells us that we have the Holy Spirit who himself intercedes for us with groans that words can't express. Where, so that means the Holy Spirit himself, God the Holy Spirit, prays for you, believer. And this is the kind of prayer where you need to go to him and say, Spirit of God, I know I need to pray this way. I can't do it. Would you please help me to pray that way? And would you pray this for me, even as I pray? Because we need to believe, I mean really believe and trust that God always sees the perfect way to deal with our difficulties. And many, many, many times, that's going to be dealing with it in a way that we would not deal with it. That's going to mean He's going to deal with it differently than how we would deal with it ourselves or how we might want Him to. But we need to trust that he sees better and sees farther down the road than we do. And that he's going to accomplish some greater purpose than what we can see right in front of us. That's what was happening here. You see that, right? That's what was going on here. Here's the army. They're not dealt with right there on the spot. They're brought to Israel. They're not dealt with the way everybody's expecting. Why? So that they can go home marveling and amazed by the grace of the God of Israel. And that they can be gripped by that and changed by that. And sure enough, it happened, at least with this group, they didn't come into Israel's land again. God was doing something bigger in that moment. Here's the other thing that we can draw from this, the other practical application that we see on display in this account. Sometimes God blinds us to make us see our need for Him. Sometimes God blinds us to make us see our need for Him. One of the most loving, gracious things God can do is to blind us to the things that keep us from seeing Him clearly. It's one of the most loving, gracious things He can do. To blind us from the things that that get in the way of our sight, of our focus on Him, that distract us from seeing Him clearly. And when He does that, the blindness that comes our way that we don't like, that we don't want, is actually kindness. And that's what we see here. The blindness God sent to these soldiers, it wasn't wrath and anger and judgment, it was kindness. It was grace so that they could actually realize, you know what, maybe we're not as impenetrable as we thought. Maybe we're not as big and bad as we thought. Maybe we're not as mighty and self-sufficient as we thought we were. Maybe we do need grace. Certainly they realized that by the end. What about you? What about you today, right here in in these chairs? What would be possibly in your way of seeing God clearly? 
What are you focused on that's actually keeping you from focusing on God today? What's distracting you from seeing Him high and lifted up like we sang about earlier? To see Him exalted in His glory and to be transformed by it, changed by it. Because every time we see God clearly as He is, it results in change. And what the enemy loves to do is throw distractions at us. To get our sight focused on this over here or that over there. On these circumstances around us instead of looking past them and seeing God. What He might be bringing about. So sometimes, many times, God blinds us to make us see our need for Him. To see that we need Him above every other thing. To see Him clearly. To see Him afresh, again. All of this reminds me of the Apostle Paul's conversion in Acts 9. Don't you love that account? I mean, we won't go there, but I just love that account. You know, here's Saul, Pharisee of Pharisees, and he consented to the death of Stephen, and now he gets an idea, oh, I like that, I like that. If we can just stamp them out one by one, maybe we can stamp out this, this new cult called the way. In fact, why, why think so small? Let's go big. Let's try to wipe them all out at once. So he went and he got letters of authorization from the Sanhedrin. And he went and he arrested all those who were part of the way. All those who were calling on the name of the Lord Jesus. And he came really close to stamping out the new church. Then he's on the road to Damascus. And the light and the glory of the Lord Jesus appears to him. And he blinds him. And in his blindness, he sees. He sees for the first time clearly. He sees who Jesus is and what He is, and for the first time in His arrogant, prideful, legalistic life, He sees Himself for what He is. A sinner in need of the salvation of the Jesus He's trying to persecute. And He's forever changed. And Saul is henceforth known most of the time as Paul, and he is responsible for spreading the very gospel he tried to stamp out. All because he was made blind. And because he was made blind, he saw. He saw. So sometimes God blinds us to make us see our need for him. Maybe that's what is needed here today in your life and in my life. Maybe we need a little bit of blindness so that we can see better. This wasn't just the Apostles Paul experience. Fanny Crosby Many of you know that name. Great woman in, in history and of the faith. Fanny Crosby was born in 1820, and shortly after birth, she caught a cold that settled in her eyes. And her parents took her to a doctor who applied, a, of all things, a mustard-based base ointment. Well, that sounds great, doesn't it? Applied a mustard-based ointment to her eyes, and of course, we know now that wouldn't work, and it didn't work. It did not cure the affliction at all. In fact, it damaged her optic nerve, leaving her blind. Despite that tragedy, though, she became a poem and a songwriter at a very young age. In fact, at age eight, she wrote her first poem. And she would go on to write over 8,000 hymns, many of which are some of the most well-known songs 
in pretty much every church hymnal, regardless of denomination. Probably the most popular hymn she wrote is one I think just about everybody will, will know the name of, Blessed Assurance. Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. This is what she said later in her life. It seemed intended, intended by the blessed providence, that sovereignty of God, that I should be blind all my life and I thank Him for the dispensation. If perfect earthly sight were offered me tomorrow, I would not accept it. I might not have sung hymns to the praise of God if I had been distracted by the beautiful and interesting things around me. Wow, that's perspective. That's understanding that sometimes God blinds us to make us see our need for Him. That's also pointing to another truth. And it's something that these Aramean soldiers needed to realize. It's something the Apostle Paul needed to realize. It's something everyone needs to realize. You, me, everybody out there in the world. It's this. Until we admit how blind we really are, we'll never really see. Until we admit how blind we really are, we'll never really see. Because until we acknowledge our need for the Lord Jesus to open our eyes, until we acknowledge and admit, I am blind. I am immersed in the darkness of my own sin. I have no hope of removing this. I have no hope of of seeing through the, the fog of my own sin in myself. No one can open my eyes for me. But Jesus, Jesus, I look to you with all of my blindness and I look to you and I say, please open my eyes to your light, to your glory, to your salvation. But you can't appreciate or apply the light of Jesus until you realize you need it. Until you realize you are hopelessly in the dark without him intervening. And so until we admit, all of us, how blind we really are, we'll never really see. No matter how good we think our eyesight is. I think of Jesus' letter in Revelation when He said, you think you see so well, you think, oh, I have all this wonderful sight, I have all these riches, I don't need anything. And Jesus said to that church, you don't realize you're blind and poor and naked. Open your eyes. See what I see. We need to do the same. Another very famous blind woman in history and also of the faith with remarkable, remarkable perspective is Helen Keller. Helen Keller was born in 1880. She became blind and deaf when she was just a year and a half old due to a long illness with really high fevers, was probably meningitis. It wasn't known at the time or or able to be treated. And she became the first blind and deaf person in the United States to earn a Bachelor of Arts degree. She was also a committed Christian. And she said this about her disability, another just mind-blowing statement. The only thing that is worse than being blind is having sight, but no vision. 
that'll preach. The only thing that is worse than being blind is having sight but no vision. And my friends, unfortunately, that is so true of so many of us. It's certainly true of the world around us, but unfortunately it's true of those that claim to have sight. Let's make sure we don't have sight but no real vision. Because until we admit how blind we really are, we'll never really see. I want to wrap up by reading a couple of passages that the Apostle Paul wrote. I think it's, it's fitting to, to end this way, to take what we read in the Old Testament and go over to the New Testament to see the application of it surrounding the gospel. Because it's the gospel of Jesus that truly opens the eyes. It's the gospel of Jesus that illuminates. It's the gospel of Jesus that gives true sight. Because the gospel shows us who and what we really are, and it shows us who God is, and it points us to Him and to the grace that only He provides. Here's what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, 3-6. through 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3-6. through 6. He says this, If our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God, little g, little g, false God, pretending God, Satan he's talking about, the God of this age, the God of this world system, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. You wonder why people don't believe. You wonder why there's still all these unbelievers out there. Here's why. That's why. There's the answer. Because Satan, the God, little g, the ruler of this present age in the world system, doesn't want their eyes open and has blinded not just their eyes, but their minds to keep them from seeing, to keep them from perceiving, to keep them from grasping the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we are not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. That's going all the way back to the beginning. Genesis 1. God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts, the believer's hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Christian, you're a light bearer. You are a little light that reflects the light of the light of the world, which is Jesus Christ. And just as Jesus, who is the light of the world, came into darkness, and the darkness did not overcome His light, let me just say to you, everybody, hear this. If you are a Christian and you are a light bearer, your mission is not to proclaim yourself. Your mission is to proclaim the light of the gospel of Jesus because that will overcome every darkness. That will overcome every darkness. Just like Elisha prayed for the Aramean soldiers to be blinded, not so that they would get what was coming to them, but so that they ultimately would see the goodness and grace of God, that's what we need to pray as well. 
before we pray for the eyes of the unbelievers to be open, we actually need to pray that they would realize how blind they are. That We need to pray that God would show them their blindness so that they can see their need to see, as is only possible through the gospel. Ephesians 1, 18-19, Paul says this, I pray, I pray that the eyes of your heart, and he's writing to the church of Ephesus, he's writing to Christians, so that's why I say we need to pray this for ourselves first. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know, you may know what is the hope of His calling, what is the wealth of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe. Those three things. Paul said, I pray that you may know that it's only possible to know if the eyes of your heart are open and enlightened. The hope of his calling, the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. Oh, believer, pray that for yourself. Pray that for me. Pray that for this church, that the eyes of our heart may be enlightened that we may constantly, increasingly know those things that Paul prayed for. And then let's pray that for others outside of the body. Last takeaway. We need to ask God. As we're praying that, we need to ask God to keep us blind to the things that try to turn our eyes away from Him. We need to constantly, moment by moment by moment, pray, God, please keep me blind to all those things. And there's many, right? There's many things that try to to turn our eyes away from Him. So we need to pray, God, Open my eyes to you and to your glory and to your grace and to your beauty, but keep me blind to all the things that try to turn my eyes away from you. That needs to be our prayer. Fanny Crosby wrote this in one of her very well-known hymns, Take the world, but give me Jesus. In His cross... My trust shall be, till with clearer, brighter vision, face to face, my Lord, I see. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help us, you'd keep us blind to the things that would turn our attention, our gaze, our focus away from you. Keep our trust in you, in your cross. Keep our eyes open and attuned to your beauty, to your glory, to your grace. Keep our eyes fixed on your cross because that is our only hope, our only remedy. That's our only remedy for the blindness that we all have, that we would all have apart from you. If you didn't intervene in our lives, if you didn't open our eyes to the gospel, if you didn't give us the very faith we needed to believe and to receive what you provided, we would remain hopelessly in blindness. So please, keep our eyes 
fixated on you and on your cross. And keep us blind to all the things that would try to turn our eyes away from you, to distract us away from you. Help us to keep seeing clearly all that you want us to see. And then with our eyes open, full of the light of the gospel, help us to go out and give that light, to be ambassadors of the light to those that are still dwelling in darkness. All for your glory. We pray all this in your mighty name. Amen.